Amen. Thank you so much, choir and worship team. Blessed time of worship today, and I appreciate all the effort that they put into it. Let me offer a word of congratulations personally to all of our graduates. Um, it's exciting to see the high school graduates who are completing and have uh, so many things in front of them and dreams that they want to pursue. And we were blessed this year with two of our graduates from uh, our special needs family. And uh, we are especially grateful for them and what God uh, is doing in their lives. And to see them progress as we have uh, through the years is a, is a blessing. And we're very thankful for our uh, church family uh, and for the particular ministry that we have in that regard and for the families that are represented uh, it's also incredibly uh, interesting to see uh, what direction the college graduates and graduate school graduates uh, and so on uh, go in. Uh, we had quite a, an assortment of people here just a few minutes ago and had it in the first service as well, but uh, we've got everything ranging from, from law to engineering to medicine to firefighting, to business, to computer uh, technology, and, and more. I'm sure I'm leaving some out among the 26 that uh, we're recognizing today in, in both of the services. And just know that uh, we are praying for you. We are proud of you. Uh, we thank God for what you've accomplished, and uh, we pray the best for you in, in the days and the years ahead. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I don't always preach a message on uh, graduation Sunday in particular that is as laser-focused as what I think this message is today, but I think the uniqueness of it is that it not only applies to those who are celebrating graduation and looking at the life that they have in front of them, but it applies to us all as we consider what it means to rejoice and enjoy the good life. We're going to read in just a moment from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. But I want to ask this question, what is the good life and how can we experience it? You know, people everywhere are searching for that. In fact, movies have been made about it. Books have been written on the subject. Philosophers have pondered the concept. And yet the question remains... The answer that people arrive at can often vary, can mean different things to different people. For some, it's simply living a life of integrity and dependability, and that's where they find their satisfaction. Uh, others look for it in things that seem to only bring temporary happiness, and then others are looking toward those immediate physical pleasures that they can find in life. And then others are trying to find it through wealth and social standing and fame and all sorts of things that the world has to offer. In his work, Apology, the philosopher Plato gave an account of a speech given by Socrates while defending himself against allegations of impiety and corrupting the youth in the year 399 BC. When being asked by the court why Socrates simply could not stop questioning the way people live, Socrates responded with a simple yet profound answer. According to Socrates, the unexamined life is not worth living. I think there is some truth that rings forth from that, that each of us should examine our lives and ask really what's motivating us at the core. What do we value? What do we truly 
care about and set as our priorities because we all desire meaning in life. And we want to make sure that as we pursue that meaning in life, that we're on the right path. Because you can pursue meaning and be on the wrong path. And uh, the most tragic thing of all is that you could end up at the wrong destination if your faith is not in Christ. But even so, uh, if your faith is in Christ, you could be on a path that's going to lead you not to be as effective and fruitful as you possibly could for the kingdom of God. Just a little bit of backdrop about the book of Ecclesiastes, the uh, King Solomon uh, wrote the book probably late in his life. You remember that he was known as the wisest man on the earth. Uh, that was both a blessing and a burden. It was a blessing because he had the ability to know more and to process better maybe than anybody else on the planet. But it was a burden because he had to process these things. And as the king, he had the opportunity and the resources at his disposal to pursue every reward that life has to offer. And no experience that he undertook on his own brought him satisfaction. But what Ecclesiastes would do is spare uh, generations to follow throughout the centuries the misery of pursuing foolish, meaningless emptiness in life and point us to what truly matters and what we should value and prioritize. Uh, chapters 1 and 2 relate some personal experiences that he went through describing how he sought personal pleasure uh, that really meant nothing eternally. Uh, chapters 3 through 5 relate observations and explanations about life, uh, which in part we're going to consider together in these moments that we have. Chapters 6 through 8 communicate some practical advice about living a meaningful life. And then chapters 9 through 12 conclude the entirety of the book with the summary of it all. And I'll conclude the message today with what Solomon's conclusion is as well. The progression represents a journey from one point to another. And when we think about life, that's how life is. It's a progression from one point to another. And we want to make sure that we are using those moments God has blessed us with to the fullest. So I begin reading in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1. Uh, there's an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing. A time to search and a time to count as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Now verse 9. What does the worker gain from his struggles? I've seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. He has made everything appropriate in his time. He's also put eternity in their hearts, but no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It is also the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all his efforts. I know that everything God does will last forever. There's no adding to it or taking from it. God works so that people will be in awe of him. 
Whatever is has already been, and whatever will be already is. However, God seeks justice for the persecuted. What do we need to understand in order to rejoice and enjoy the good life? First, know that everything is appropriate in its time. Everything is appropriate in its time. Now, Solomon's thesis statement for this section is that there's an occasion for everything. There is a time for every activity under the sun. When we think about time, a biblical understanding of time focuses on the sovereignty of God. God is not referenced in verses 1 through 8, but he is immediately referenced in the verses that follow. Everything happens according to the opening verse under heaven. Now later the preacher will state in chapter 5 that God is in heaven. So everything that happens in a time-constricted universe is under the authority of a sovereign God who rules in heaven. God is timeless and eternal, and he is with us in every moment as the transcendent God, but also the one who is imminent, who makes his presence known among us. Now, this world that we live in is physical. It is something that has space and time dimensions. So we think about it in terms of length and width and height and depth and time as we know it. But God, who is spirit, is not limited by these things, yet he has created these physical laws in these dimensions which govern our world. The boundaries of time are ultimately irrelevant to God because he is above and outside of the sphere of time and can see from eternity past to eternity future the full panoramic view all at once. There's nothing that ever surprises God. There's never anything that sneaks up on him. There's never anything that gets away from him. He sees the panoramic view from the beginning to the end and all points in between. Now, the reiteration of the words a time here remind us that there is a sense of predictability to life. There's seconds, there's minutes, days, weeks, months, years, uh, decades, centuries, they all roll on. And this poem, in a sense, is about the order, orderliness of all that God has sovereignly prompted. Now, let me just pause here and say that at times when we think about this orderliness and we think about the progression of time, sometimes it almost seems mundane if we're honest about it. It, it, it can seem that we're just going through the motions. We're getting up and doing the same thing that we did yesterday and same thing pretty much that we did yesterday, we did last week. And my goodness, we're going to have to do it all again next week. And, and if we're not careful, we can start looking at time as though it's not sovereignly purposed. And as a result of that, we might not be as faithful and effective with what God has entrusted to us. It's interesting that even in culture, People are familiar with these first verses that I read in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Even people that don't know anything about the Bible. Uh, you might remember that the folk singer Pete Seeger uh, set it to music in the 1950s with a tune that the birds popularized and it rose on the charts. Turn, turn, turn. 
And let me say, you're welcome for those of you who are going to be thinking about that song the rest of the day. If you've heard that song, it's going to be over and over and over. And you won't remember anything else that I said today, but you're going to be remembering that song. So you're welcome. Um, But at any rate, uh, people know that life has boundaries. We know that there's a time to be born and a time to die. Birth and death are the boundaries of life over which we have no ultimate control. But here's what I want to say to you. All points in between are significant and they should be lived wisely. What's he doing? He's contrasting the good and the difficult. He gives us 14 opposites, essentially. Um, God is the king of time. He's ruling over your moments and your days. He's ruling over all of eternity. Uh, Life has a chronology to it, and even the rhythms of creation bear witness to the fact that uh, God is working out time as we know it for our good and for his glory. We think about spring that just turned into summer, and summer that's going to turn into fall, and fall that's going to turn into winter, and then winter once again is going to turn into spring. Over and over, those things are going to continue on because that's how God has designed it. And I don't think this is a fatalistic view of life. I think rather it ought to build our confidence in God. It should build our approach to him. And the wise and regular and orderly administration of God from the beginning to the end shows us something about his character. That God does everything and he does it at just the right time. So let's think about some specific application of this, practical application of this truth uh, for our graduates especially. I want to encourage you to live in the moment as you wait for God's timing. Live in the moment as you wait for God's timing. If it's true that everything is appropriate in its time, then live in the moment as you wait for God's timing. Now, let me just say by way of personal confession here that one of the things that I've struggled with throughout the years is to forget about the moment because I'm always looking for what's coming next. Now, part of that's how I'm wired. I, I, I think big picture. That's how I operate. I'm, I'm planning. I'm thinking a step ahead. That's just part of how God has gifted me and, and, and uh, really led me along. But sometimes the gift is to my own worst detriment because I don't enjoy the moment because I'm focusing on the next thing. And I think if you, we can learn to live in the moment as we wait for God's timing, then we can truly begin to experience and understand the fact that everything is appropriate in its time. So those of you who are the college graduates or, or maybe graduate school graduates or, or otherwise, uh, maybe you've not got everything mapped out just yet. If you do, you are unusual. Uh, but maybe you don't, and, and you're wondering, what's next? Well, let me just say to you today, you can relax because God knows what's next, and your assignment in the moment is to be faithful, is to trust Him, is to do what you're doing now and trust that He will be in control of what you have to do next. I remember a friend of mine years ago who had... Uh, uh, earned a degree in, in a specific type of science, and he was a researcher, and uh, he was in the medical area, and uh, 25 years ago, he was making well into six figures. 
he felt like God was calling him to ministry and he was willing to step away from it all and go to seminary. I thought that was pretty remarkable at the time because that was, that was really a lot, uh, seemed like to me back then. And as I was thinking about what he was doing, he was about to finish seminary. And I said, I said, brother, what, what are you going to do next? And he said something to me I've never forgotten. He said, I'm going to finish the assignment that God has for me now, and then I'm going to trust him for what he has for me next. Now, I was kind of taken back a little bit because I was constantly planning and thinking about what was coming next. But what he was saying to me was, hey, live in the moment as you wait for God's timing. Do what you're doing now faithfully, and God will mark out the next steps that he has for you. And then I would say to you also, live in the moment as you're making the most of that time. Uh, this is the same, but it's a little bit different because I like to think about time as a commodity as well as a gift. It's a priceless currency that God has given us for doing the work of his kingdom. Stephen Olford said years ago, time is a fragment of eternity given by God to man as a solemn stewardship. Redeem the time for the day's are evil. Graduates, be blessed and enjoy the accomplishment that you have just achieved. Bask in the moment. Let your family enjoy the moment. Rest in the goodness of God and make the most of the moment. You see, that applies to a lot of different areas of life. Same thing in raising children. We've got a nursery full of babies right now, praise God, some of whom weren't even here today because they're too newborn or they're not quite ready or whatever. We've got a host of little ones. And I can remember the same thing with children. One of the things that we tried to do as parents that I feel like God helped us for the most part do effectively was to enjoy the season of time that we were in with our kids. In other words, when they were those little babies, we weren't wishing that they would get older so we could sleep better through the night, even though we would have liked to have got more sleep. I mostly got sleep, I'll be honest about it, but uh, my wife didn't get much sleep. But at any rate, it sounds good to say I didn't get sleep. And uh, we didn't want them to get older, uh, uh, to stay as they were. We wanted them to get older. When they got older, we weren't wishing for something else. We just said, we're going to enjoy what God has for us now. And we were preparing our kids to release them. We wanted them to launch. We pray for that. And that's the way that we sought to parent. So this has application in so many areas of life, whether it's your vocation or your family uh, or your service to the Lord. You've got to learn to be blessed in the moment and to enjoy that, knowing that your time on earth is not unlimited. Keep your eyes on eternity. Wait on God's timing. Make the most of the moment and keep your eyes fixed on eternity. Everything is appropriate in its time. Then second, know that everything God does will last forever. Everything God does will last forever. Now Solomon returns here to the subject of work and he asks a question that he's already asked in verse 9. What does the worker gain from his struggles? Verse 10, I have seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. He's really asking the question, what kind of return might I expect for my, my investment of time and effort? He's saying, look, I know people work and I know it's a struggle, but is it worth it? And some people have looked at these verses and said that Solomon is somehow saying that it's all pointless. But the problem with that view is, after he asks this question, what does he do immediately in verse 11? 
He starts talking about the goodness of God. So he can't be saying that it's all meaningless. He can't be saying that it's all pointless if he begins to talk immediately about the goodness of God. And he begins to talk specifically about how God has placed eternity on our hearts and how he has given us this innate understanding that there is something more. I was reading about the uh, missionary statesman uh, Don Richardson from the middle part of the 20th century, really to the early part of the 21st century. Uh, God used him in various ways in missions around the world. And uh, he went on an effort to discover what he thought to be true, that even in the most obscure tribes, places that you would think were absolutely godless and there was nothing there spiritual at all, did they in fact have a greater understanding that there was something outside of themselves. And he went to places like Dutch New Guinea, where he encountered headhunters. He went to other difficult places in the world in his missionary service. And his conclusion of it all was that even among those peoples, there was evidence that in fact Ecclesiastes 3 is true, that eternity is written on the hearts of men. We are born with a longing for another world. We are born with an understanding that there is something beyond us. There is something more than what we can experience in the here and now. This world is not our home. And that begs the question to us, if this world is not our home, if we serve a God who is eternal, if God has written that eternity on our hearts, then how could we as Christians simply live in the moment without a framework of understanding that what we do now is also significant eternally. And Solomon references whatever God does here. You know what whatever God does encompasses? Whatever God does, everything that God does, and whenever God does it. It's all-encompassing. Remember, there's a season for everything. And what God does will endure now and forever. He says specifically, it cannot be added to or subtracted from. So if that's true, and it is, should that give us hope or should it discourage us? It ought to give us hope because within what God has done, what God has done is he has made an everlasting covenant with his people through his only son, Jesus Christ. And what he has done for us is he has given us uh, the possibility to receive forgiveness of our sins, to be reconciled to him, to know that we have a home in heaven someday. So in the moment, we can live in forgiveness. We can know that we are at peace with God, the God who gave us life, the God who gave us breath, the God who gave us the ability to do what we do. And as we look at that, we realize that we get to be a part of something that is greater than ourselves because everything that God does will last forever. I think of Hebrews chapter 12, and the language of Hebrews chapter 12 is that there is a great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us. And the writer tells us to lay aside the things that hinder us. You know what's going to hinder you, graduate? Your own self will be your greatest hindrance in this life. You're going to think it's other people. You're going to think there's obstacles that you come up against. You're going to think that it's problems that you encounter. But the greatest obstacle you will face in this life is your own self. Because you've got to make a decision along the way. Will you serve yourself 
and live life for self? Or will you serve God and live your life for him and for others? And it's an unselfish life that's the rewarding life. It's the life that is turned inwardly that is not that useful to God. Lay aside your selfishness. Lay aside your sin. Lay aside the distractions and you run your race. Hebrews chapter 12 says that you are to run your race with endurance. And I can tell you and also bear witness today that at 50 years old, life requires a lot of endurance. And it might just surprise you as your pastor that there are Sundays that I don't particularly feel like stepping up and doing what God's called me to do. Just like there are Mondays that you don't really feel like stepping up and do whatever God's called you to do. But you know what God's called me to do? God has called me to endure. And I always tell people that I am not a racehorse, but you know what I am? I'm a plow horse. And you put me in the row and I'm going to plow and I'm going to plow steady and I'm going to do my job and I'm going to do my calling and I'm going to fall after what God has called me to do. So graduates especially, I know everything's exciting in front of you. Man, you got, you got the world in front of you. You got all these opportunities in front of you. You need endurance to walk with Christ. You need endurance to stand firm 30 years from now, 40 years from now, 50 years from now, or as it is in the lives of some of the people in this congregation, even 70 or more years beyond the point that you are right now, there are people who give witness by their very lives among us in this church that they have endured. They've given a strong testimony for Christ. You know what? I thank God for them because they point to two things. God will bless a faithful life. What God does is eternal, and his work is worth it. It's worth it. What he does will last forever. And if you get in on something that will last forever, that will give you some endurance. And that will give you some encouragement as you pursue it. And then third and finally, know that everything good should cause us to be in awe of God. Verse 13 says, it's also the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all his efforts. You know, a lot of people, they want you to think that, that it's a negative thing to follow Christ because you're going to be constricted and Man, you're not going to get to do the things that you want to do. It's, it's better over here with the world. Come over here with us. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to everlasting life. But the lie that I don't want you to buy into is that that narrow way that leads to everlasting life is somehow bad. That's where the best blessing is. That's where the goodness of God is. That's where the, the rejoicing is because we're right in the sweet spot of where God wants us to be. And we should be living our lives with joyful gratitude to God for all that is good in our lives. And we want to be faithful and we want to be grateful to God. And notice in verse 14 what it says, God works so that people will be in awe of him. We ought to be in awe of of God. And the good things in life draw us in, not to our own selfishness, but they draw us in to the goodness of God because everything good causes us to be in awe of him. Now, I think to be in awe of God is to fear God. It's an important idea in the Bible. 
Hebrews 10 and verse 31 says it's a frightening thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So those who are lost and unsaved, the fear of God is in relation to judgment and eternal separation from God. But to be in awe of God and to fear him for the believer means that we we reverence God. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So the fear of God is a proper reverence that the creature owes the creator. It's being in awe of him because he's worthy. And if you're in awe of God, you will worship God with your life. We have narrowed down worship to think of worship only as what we do congregationally when we gather together, when we pray and we sing and we give and we preach and we do the things that we do in public worship. But the Bible says whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And if you're living for the glory of God, you know what that means? Your life is a life of worship. And young people, you better be investing yourself in something that's worthy of worship. Your walk personally with God is worship. Your family life is worship unto the Lord. Your relationships ought to be toward worship of God. Your vocation, it should be an investment of worship toward God. Roger Palm said, worship is not just personal introspection or we would worship our feelings. Worship's not even a warm glow or we would worship that. We worship one outside of ourselves. We concentrate on him, we praise him, we adore him. We hear his word for he is announcing it to us. And I must say to you as well that if you are in awe of God, you will trust him and worship him even when you can't see or understand what he's doing. That's incredibly important because we're going to think about the good life. We're going to realize that part of the good life is going to be experiencing some dark days along the way, some difficulties, some disappointments, some losses. And in those times, we really find out a lot about our faith. It's easy to have faith when it's all breaking your direction. It's easy to have faith when it's all going in your way and trending toward you. But what about when it's not? What about when you begin to have those questions? Why this? Why now? Why me, Lord? It's okay to ask those questions. He already knows you're thinking them. But the outcome is the key. Because when we get in those dark moments, we come to a crossroads in life. And we either decide that we're going to be disappointed and angry with God. What's the use? We're just going to go in the direction we want to go in. Or we're going to say to God, God, even though I can't see what's coming, even though I don't understand, I trust you. And when you have that kind of trust in him, it starts because you've had an awe of him in all of your life. Everything good should cause us to be in awe of God. So in summary, what is the good life and how can we experience it? Well, the way to rejoice and enjoy the good life is to fear God and keep his commands. 
Remember I told you I was going to come back to this particular point. Well, here we are. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. If you will, make your way there just for a moment. We're going to look at verses 13 and 14, and I'm going to wrap this message up. Solomon says, I had it all at my disposal. I tried it. I found it lacking. Now, let me tell you, there's a time for everything, but what's really important is to be in awe of God. What's really important is to understand that God is eternal and he's in charge of the whole deal. What's really important is that the good things have come from the hand of God and you can be blessed by that and you can worship him through it. Let me give you some practical application of that. And then he comes down and he says, listen, this is the summary of the whole deal. I already gave you the thesis. Now let me give you the summary. This is, this is the pinnacle of the whole discussion. And he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13 and 14, when all has been heard, when the whole deal is done, the conclusion of the matter is this. Fear God and keep his commands for, because this is for all humanity. For God will bring every act to judgment, including Every hidden thing, whether good or evil. I like the way Derek Kidner put it. He said, there is and will be an eternal accounting for everything that we do. This is the complete opposite of believing that everything is meaningless or vanity. It means that everything has meaning and importance, both for the present and for eternity. And if God cares this much for us, nothing can be pointless. So, The message is not nothing matters. The message is everything matters. The message is not most of life is insignificant. The message is everything is significant in the sight of God. And I want to say to you today that what is most significant of all in your life is whether or not your faith and trust is in Jesus Christ. And I want to say to you young people, especially as you're launching into new seasons, whether it be into that college world or it be into the professional world, you've got to own your faith for yourself. It's not enough just to affirm the faith that your church has. It's not enough to agree with the faith that your family has had. There is that moment in your life where you've got to decide, am I going to follow Jesus Christ as a disciple or am I going to serve myself? It's the bottom line. And it comes for all of us at some point. And I can say that because I was raised in a Christian home. I was raised in the church. I came to faith early. I had all these things poured into me. But it wasn't truly until my mid-20s with a very simple faith in Christ that I'd had for 18 years at that point that God got a hold of me and I understood and began to understand what it meant for me to live my faith and for me to live and follow as a disciple of Jesus. And every one of you has got to make that decision as well. Are you going to follow and serve Jesus as his disciple? Or are you just going to give it lip service? The religious framework that's not going to transform your life. Only Christ will form and shape the decades to come, however much time we have left on this earth. Let's bow our heads together as we pray. Father, I'm so grateful for the stark reality of the book of Ecclesiastes that was written by 
the wisest human who ever lived. And we gain insight into ourselves and insight into the world and insight into eternity because you have spoken. Thank you that you are good to us. May we enjoy the rich blessings of life and friendships and provision and church fellowship and the many things that you have placed before us. Help us not to take those things for granted. But Lord, help us to be in awe of you and know that it has all come from your good hand. Build our faith and trust in Christ as we follow him. We'll give this time of closing response over to you. If there are decisions or steps of faith that need to be taken, I pray that people would respond appropriately and that you'd get the glory for it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.